Hello and welcome to Views from the Market, Mid-Market Private Equity and m in Canada. My name is Mario Negro. I'm a partner at Steichen Valley in the Private Equity m and Group. For today's special guest, I'd like to welcome Sasha Chuchus. Sasha is the CEO of Greybrook Securities. Greybrook focuses on private equity real estate investing, particularly from retail investors. Sasha, thank you for joining us today. Thanks for having me, Mario. Excited. Sasha, I'd like to start by asking you a little bit about yourself and what you do at Greybrook and tell us a little more about Greybrook itself. Yeah, of course. So uh, my name is Sasha Chuchus. I'm the CEO of Greybrook Securities. You you did a great job pronouncing my name, so thank you for that. Um, so as the CEO of the firm, obviously I'm involved in, in, in most uh, integral parts of what we do here, but as you pointed out, in, in kind of the brief description you gave, we're a private equity firm that's focused primarily on real estate development-based investing. So even within the real estate genre, we're very, very narrow in our focus as it relates to specifically areas of real estate, which the market would define as opportunistic uh, from the perspective of development, um, mainly in residential, as well as value-add opportunities or repositioning older assets and, and sort of moving them up the food chain. Um, residential is our primary focus, and that's for you know a, a calculated reason, I think. And we operate kind of throughout North America with a obviously primary focus on our Southern Ontario market here in Toronto and surrounding area. Uh, but we do development in other parts of Canada and the US as well. Sasha, I have to start by asking the million dollar question. I know it's the one everyone wants to talk about on our podcast today. I want to ask you about where you think the real estate market is going. And obviously in the greater Toronto area, but just overall in Canada. I know you live in the real estate market every day. You've done deals for many, many years. You've seen this real estate market. I want to get your perspective on where the market's at and where do you think the market's going? And given that, you know, you put private capital to work, there's nobody probably better positioned to talk about where you think the market's going. It, it, it's funny. At least you asked for a perspective. Most people ask for a forecast. Um, so, so I'm happy to give you my perspective because everybody knows that it, you know, it's every, everybody's got an opinion and, you know, I think we, we do a lot. So I think I, I, we have a unique perspective on the market in the sense that particularly here in the t- Toronto area, we have over 70 active development projects that span high rise, low rise. Some have commercial components, um, you know, and, and things of that nature. So you get a real good read on it. Um, as far as what's happened in the market, you know, everybody talks about the pandemic is almost a shock to see the market respond so well in in the pandemic. And I think that generally that's kind of a very visceral reaction because of course we're in the middle of a pandemic. Why would the market be accelerating? Uh, But if you think about what some of the drivers are, particularly on the residential side, it's, it's very logical as to what's been happening, at least to me. Um, You know, you're looking at a scenario where in the GTA, obviously housing of any type, particularly new housing is quite expensive. Uh, and the type of buyer or consumer, whether they're an investor or an end user, uh, is generally the type of person who's been somewhat unaffected economically by this pandemic, right? You know, we've heard a lot of economists talk about the uneven nature of the pandemic, where the services industry primarily and other sectors like that have been more impacted than some of the white collar jobs out there. Um, And as a result of that, most of the buyers and participants in the market 
at this level uh, have, have, you know, retained their jobs. They have income coming in, so they've been largely unaffected. Uh, and at the same time, you've had um, savings increase, right? Because these people haven't gone anywhere in 15 months and they haven't been spending on restaurants and theater and travel and all of the things that they would normally do. So savings have increased. Uh, stock markets and real estate markets have been relatively robust. So savings have increased on another level for these types of folks. And at the same time, interest rates have dropped to historic lows. So borrowing capacity has, has increased as well. So you, you almost have a perfect storm of circumstances that has led people to greater savings, greater confidence in the market, and increased borrowing capacity. So as a result of that, we've seen this surge in activity in the real estate sector. So it's all been done, or, or at least to me, you know, it, it all makes a lot of sense as to what's happened. Now, the question is, what happens from here? And that's the million dollar question. And I think that one of the things, particularly in, in our southern Ontario market and some of the other markets that we focus on, we, we really like to look at the fundamental demand and supply dynamic because that's what makes markets sustainable and trend in the right direction over a sustainable amount of time. And what I mean by that is you look for growth in population. You look, in, you look at diverse employment. You look at all of these drivers on the demand side and plot them against things on the supply side. Like, is there enough inventory coming to market? Can the industry produce enough inventory? And if the answer to that is no, then you have this disequilibrium that leads to stable pricing and generally price growth. So notwithstanding the fact that we've had this surge that comes from an exogenous factor, in, in my view, uh, we do have a sustainable growth market here, uh, particularly in Southern Ontario. So what I expect for the future is that we might see a pullback um, over the next year, uh, whether it's due to increasing interest rates or whether it's due to the fact that these exact conditions have led people to pull forward purchases that otherwise would have happened in the future. So, of course, those purchases are happening now rather than tomorrow, and therefore there'll be less purchases tomorrow, uh, which all might lead to some sort of uh, pullback in the market, but certainly not a crash in the market because we have a very solid dynamic as it relates to sustainable housing and it comes from real requirements not speculation it's housing that's required for our population growth and to sustain the level of growth that we're seeing here and at the same time there's a lot of constraints on the supply side so for those reasons i think that we have a lot of stability ahead of us in the market um and whether we see some price recession in the next you know 12 months is possible but i do see sustainable long-term growth in the future Sasha, one of the things that uh, makes Greybrook unique has been its ability to channel retail investors for private equity investments. Greybrook has been extremely successful at being able to obtain retail investors for real estate investments, and frankly, in many cases, for repeated investments. And without giving us the secret sauce, I'm wondering if you can tell us a little bit of behind what's been behind Greybrook's success at channeling retail investors and who are loyal and committed and, and like I said, often repeat investors to Greybrook's products. Yeah, I mean, look, I, I think our decision to focus on the retail investor probably stemmed from the fact that when my, my partners and I started the business, uh, you know, we were very young and, and didn't have a track record worthy enough of attracting institutional capital. So, of course, you rely on your neighbors and your friends, um, you know, in order to be able to kind of do what you what you want to do from a business perspective. And we we you know got a lot of trust from people in our inner circles and our immediate networks and 
built on that trust. And I think that as we built a business that really focused on servicing that type of investor and helping them gain the right exposure to this type of asset class, that's how we built out our infrastructure. So today about, you know, 25 or 30% of our capital comes from institutions, but we've maintained this vast retail network. And that's all been by choice, frankly, uh, because of where we originated. Um, and I think the loyalty, you know, we're, we're fortunate enough to have an incredible amount of loyalty from within our clients. And I think performance is one category there, uh, one reason for that, so to speak. And then I think part of it is service level, right? Like, I mean, we've, we've had to build out a team here of, of really talented people that are attentive and, and help really advise their clients. It's not a question of filling opportunities for us. We're, we're in the good, you know, in a good enough spot that capital isn't really our primary issue. So we focus on creating the right type of portfolios for people. And I think we can do it on a customized fashion. So to an individual that wants to invest in us, the reason they invest repeatedly is because we try to coach them into investing into multiple projects uh, to gain exposure. And it's not a question of, you know, if somebody want to invest a million dollars, put a million dollars in a project. I'd rather see that million dollars across 10 different projects, which give you a level of diversification, uh, whether it be geographic or, you know, asset type or, or whatever other diversification we can create, but it's the best long-term strategy to make sure that you have a balanced strategy to, to, to this type of investing. And that's kind of how we've evolved our business over time. Sasha, one of the things that makes uh, Graybrook unique is that, you know, unlike other real estate property type investment vehicles that tend to be passive, Graybrook, on the other hand, are active investors. You are actively involved in a project. And what's been great about Graybrook and where you've really developed a unique reputation is your engagement on projects. So that after closing, Graybrook has been extremely successful in being you know, part of the management of a project and actively involved with the developers in completing a project and providing advice for its completion. And it, it has been one of the unique features of Graybrook and one that the market appreciates and I know investors appreciate. I wonder if you could tell us a little bit more about the role that you're playing as more of an active investor in your projects, even after you close the capital raise. Yeah, yeah. So I think that's an excellent point. I mean, we we brand ourselves as active asset managers, and and I think we take that to to heart in the sense that our job, as far as putting a financing together, structuring a deal, underwriting it, assembling the capital to the market, that would look like the bulk of the job. To us internally, that's like the first five percent of the job, um, because once once that's been done that's where we really go to work. And the way that our team is built is we have kind of half the house that's capital markets oriented and they're the ones working with investors to create, as I, as I pointed out, the right exposure at the right time. And then the second part of the equation and second part of the house is our asset management team. And their job is to actually manage these projects together with our partners. So everything from, you know, every major decision through to even small decisions and, and we work together with our partners and we see ourselves adding value not only to our clients through that obviously a level of protection a level of stewardship but also we see ourselves adding value to our execution partners because we're actually bringing a lot of experience to bear in helping our projects get to where we need them to go so it's not just an oversight role it's really collaborative in the sense of managing these projects to completion and success ultimately 
I know, Sasha, that Graybrook's success has been built on developing really strong relationships with really top-notch developers. And all those relationships have resulted in those, you know, the core business, those joint ventures with developers and these you know, condo, townhouse, uh, single detached home projects. But I also know that you've been expanding and you've been looking at new opportunities beyond your kind of traditional mandate. And I wanted to get a sense, you know, given early comments about where the market's going, you know, where, where does Greybrook see itself and where does Greybrook focused on for opportunities for the future, given your experience. Yeah, I mean, I think I think we'll always stay true to our, our our core business because that's the lifeblood of our business. And frankly, you know, we see housing as a as a need, regardless of whether you're building a rental apartment building or a single family home. I mean, people need housing, and there's people of all different shapes and sizes and income levels and things of that nature. So, for sure, there's there's a lot of future growth in our core business. But as you point out, I mean, I think going through this process, the people you meet, the things that you have exposure to have led us into other directions uh, with, with parts of our business. And, and one such that kind of comes to mind is, you know, we made an investment last year in a company called Delos Living. Um, and Delos Living's focus is on health and wellness within buildings. So it was almost a natural fit for us, given that we have uh, some investments in the healthcare space, which we, we didn't talk a lot about today, but that's something that we do as well. And obviously our core real estate business. And, and we saw the intersection of these two things is uh, really the way of the future. And if you think about you know, what's happened over the last year with the pandemic, it's really highlighted the need to think about what it, you know, the interior environment does to your health, right? What, what's the type of air you're breathing in? How well is it filtered? Um, you know, all these things people didn't think twice about now, it, it seems to be all we think about. And I think it's, uh, you know, kind of a paradigm shift. And this company, uh, Delos, had had formed, you know, eight years ago, and, and their focus was on the health sciences within buildings. So they have uh, a certification program called the WELL certification, which is a, um, you know, the, the world's foremost certification in healthy buildings. So it's almost, think of it, Mario, like the LEED standard. Everybody's familiar with the LEED standard as it relates to building a building to lead platinum or whatever the case may be. And lead really contends with a building and its impact on environmental and sustainability factors. So all that well does is take all of the science and health sciences and applies them to construction and building environments and has created the certification program, which essentially is lead, but for health and wellness. Um, so we got behind that uh, with an investment last year uh, we formed a partnership, and, and, and that's something that we not only take seriously as an investor, but the reason that we made an investment wasn't simply for financial reasons, because we think it's a good financial investment, but rather, you know, we build a lot of homes. Like, we have over 30,000 units in development here in, in Ontario alone. We have somewhere in the order of magnitude of, you know, $20 billion worth of development just here in Ontario. Um, so that's something that that we want to bring into the architecture and design of the buildings we build, of the homes we build. Uh, because I think, you know, going forward in the future, this isn't something that's fleeting in the sense that when the pandemic's over, people aren't going to care anymore about their air systems and, and having the right environment uh, that promotes health and wellness. So, so that's, uh, you know, as an example, an area that we've kind of gone into that that's tangential, but at the same time, in line with our core business. So we're always on the lookout for things that we think are game changing, that 
that put uh, you know us at the leading edge, and and hopefully they benefit our investors and ultimately the home buyers. I always have a crystal ball question, and I know Sasha, I, I kind of asked it already, but you know as we're heading towards the end of the podcast, I always leave at the end the uh, crystal ball question to look into the future and. I wanted to get a sense from you where you see the future opportunities for Greybrook. You know, we hear about when it comes to real estate that, you know, rentals and townhouses and secondary markets and the suburbs and the U.S. as being all kind of opportunities for real estate investment. But I think our viewers would appreciate hearing from your perspective where you're going to be focused on for opportunities in the future, where you uh, see opportunities from a real estate investment point of view. Sure. So I, I'm going to divide this into two geographies for you because I think they're very different. Um, so in Canada, if I could pick one strategy, it would be on, you know, areas peripheral to the GTA. And it's not for the reasons that, you know, people were talking about during COVID, which is, you know, nobody wants to live in cities anymore. And that's that and everybody's going to go live in the suburbs. I think that's not the case in any way, shape or form. It's actually for the opposite reason. Cities are, are, are very vibrant. A city like Toronto is, is, you know, a global city. It's going to continue becoming a global city and it's only be, going to become more dense and more expensive, right? And the result is that expensive means exclusive to a degree and as I pointed out earlier in our talk, housing is a requirement for everyone. Uh, and I think what you're going to see is a lot of the communities in periphery to the GTA and the greater Golden Horseshoe. And I'm not talking about just the Markhams or the Richmond Hill as it relates to Toronto. I'm talking about the Peterboroughs, the Kitcheners, the Cambridges and places like that. You're going to see really accelerating growth in those areas and demand for housing in those areas. So I think that that's a really unique and timely opportunity at the moment uh and then if i could if i could speak on the u.s for uh, as the second part to my crystal ball answer it's really looking at rental housing in expensive cities across the united states uh u.s is no different than canada major cities in the sense that there's an affordability issue in many cases if you look at the demographics of people moving into a lot of large u.s cities it's typically a younger demographic due, due to the type of jobs that are generally being created in these cities jobs in the service economy the gig economy uh jobs in the tech sector and you know areas like that so as a result of that you're getting a younger demographic which is more affordability challenged uh and as a result they need to turn to the rental market and there's been generally a, a lack of sufficient rest, uh, rental housing in many of these large and growing U.S. cities. So I think for the United States, I see urban core rental as, as probably the best opportunity going forward for the next period of time. And here in Ontario or Canada, I see these peripheral communities uh, that are peripheral to kind of the major cities like Toronto. Sasha, I wanted to say thank you for joining us. It's been incredibly interesting hearing about the history and the success of Greybrook and, and getting your perspective on the you know, private equity real estate market and learning about real estate investment opportunities and, and where you think the market's going and, and the perspective opportunities for the future. So it's greatly appreciated having you here and, and thank you again for taking the time to join us. It was my pleasure. Thank you for having me.